Hello, and welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. I'm your co-host, Mike, and with me, as always, is your other co-host, John. John, how you doing, doing this Doing all right. I, uh, you know, it's it's been a very interesting few days. Um, you know, uh, we, unfortunately, my fiance and I lost out on a house we, we were bidding on in Mac Groveland in St. Paul, which is where we would really like to live. It's a fantastic neighborhood. Um, so we're trying to move away from New Jersey, um, which has been great, but uh, time to move on and next chapter of life type of thing. Um, but unfortunately, the bid didn't go through. Someone offered cash and uh, we just couldn't compete with that. But Ugh, that's so frustrating, man. I'm sorry. It's just part of the process. You know, it's all right. It's it is what it is. But we'll we'll get there still. You know, there's always going to be another house. So we're, we're getting there. But on the uh, the bright side, I've got a I've got a, a callback for for a show in 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 New York City that uh, I, I got to go in for. And I've got this lovely, lovely mustache on right now which none of you can see but mike can and, and uh, so yeah let me tell you you can't see it out there folks but this mustache it is resplendent luxurious even i mean it is really it's really impressive he filled it thank out you, nicely thank you yeah it's not the norm for me but you know sometimes i like to you know do a little something with the facial hair and, and see if it makes any difference but yeah it should be fun awesome. how about you and <laughs> Oh man! Well, back in Minnesota, where you are, where where you will be soon, it finally mm-hmm. got cold again, and we got some snow. Amazing! So that's awesome. Got some snow in there. I got the dog groomed today, so that was big. You gotta get the dog groomed. Gotta get that fur cut off. That's important. Na- and the nails. The nails needed to be yeah, shorter. Yeah, yeah. So that's important that we got those uh, shorter dog nails. That's a lot. When the dog jumps up and wants to paw at you, that can be a little frustrating. When the, when those nails get it's out, it's funny. Like just all the domestic things that you do now that I never really thought I would do and or find like not that I wouldn't say enjoyment out of, but it's just like it's become part of this routine and part of the norm that you know as you get older, just is what it is, man. But it's 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 all good, and I'm glad that you got all that taken care of, and um, I'm glad you got some snow. And just following up what we got out here, we got a nice little nor'easter uh, last week, and so we got about five six inches, but. Good. Yeah, I'm still hoping for a big blizzard. We haven't had like a truly big blizzard this, you know, this winter. We have it's been such a weird, unseasonably hot winter. So I'm hoping we get a blizzard sometime in the next couple few weeks. Yeah, it'd be nice. I, I think it always it makes the doldrums of winter go by a little bit it makes it a little easier, I guess. Um, in my opinion. But I know others it's it pretty. Is. You can take pictures of it. I like it. I like it when you get a bunch of snow on the ground. I've been sad all winter without snow on the ground because honestly, it just looks brown and dead and like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. It's one thing down where things grow in the winter, but up here, things don't grow in the winter. So if there's no snow, it just looks dead. I'm with you. It's the same out here, man. So I was was very happy to get a nice blanket of snow on the ground, but... Going into the city tomorrow, um, <clears throat> it is going to be a little bit different it, in New York City and in, uh, in the winter when there's snow is it looks pretty for about maybe 12 hours if you're lucky. And then it just turns into all kinds mm-hmm. of other different disgusting colors and smells. So that'll be fun. You, New York is undefeated with its unique that is smells. True. That is true. It, it can go from smelling absolutely <laughs> glorious to horrendous in half a second. So. Yeah, just yep. turn a corner. That's it. For sure. 
All right. Well, should we get into these reviews, John? So this is a review pod today. We are reviewing the 2023-24 football season for Ohio State, Maryland, and Northwestern. Uh, But first, let's talk a little college football current events. John, Ohio State offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien is no longer Ohio State offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien. He is now Boston College head coach Bill O'Brien. So, John, what do you think about uh, what do you think about that move? Um, you know, it is a little abrupt. I think that him leaving so soon is 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 uh, comes off a little strange, but uh, it could have to do with the personality thing. He may just want to make that jump as to to a head coach, which I can't blame the guy. Even, you know, even though it's Boston College, it's a good job as a, you know to have your first experience as a head coach at a at a power four school. Um, well, hey, he's been a head coach before. Oh, I'm a so couple sorry. Times. Yes, of course. Sorry. Bill O'Brien. Yeah, he's been Penn State and also the Houston Texans. Obviously. So he's been, sorry. He's a, he's a big get for yeah, Boston my bad. College. But yes, he he. I think going to Boston College is is great for them. I think uh, they will have they've, they've got a solid coach. I think they're going to be able to maybe do some good things up there. Recruiting should get better. Um, I do think he'll be able to make them respectable. I don't know how how good they're going to be, but they are going to be pretty a lot better than what they were. Let's just put it that way. So I think that's a great hire. Um, I don't know if like the whole thing with, you know, Chip Kelly, uh, who we know was calling around asking for jobs everywhere. Um, that played, <laughs> that played into it. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think, uh, I think it's a good move, um, at least for Boston college. And, uh, I'm not sure for him, but we'll see how that works out. Well, so what I saw was, uh, I read that, um, Bill O'Brien has a child with a neurological disorder and that uh, his child's specialty doctor um, is in located in Boston. Oh, okay. So this might be a thing with Bill O'Brien where, you know, he's from New England is a chance to go home again, but also he can be where his child's receiving care and that can be a really, um, you know, so between the giant rays he's going to receive, which will set him for life if he's, you know, if he wants to do, and the location in Boston. I think it makes a lot of sense that Bill O'Brien accepted this. I job. was unaware of that. Uh, I, I think that it, that makes a ton of sense. Um, you know, I got to respect the guy for that. Um, and you know, just embracing that. And I think, uh, to do that for family, um, no matter what it is, plus you're making the more, you're making more money is just a great, is the smart move. And didn't you say he's, yeah. he's from that area also? He's yeah. from New England. So he is. Yeah. So he's coming home a, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, John, I'll tell you what makes a lot less sense, at least from from 10,000 feet. The fact that Chip Kelly, the sitting head coach of the UCLA Bruins, is no longer that. He is Chip Kelly, offensive coordinator for the Ohio State Buckeyes. John, this is absolutely bonkers. When I saw this news, my jaw dropped a little bit. Chip Kelly was making roughly $6 million a year as a sitting Big Ten coach. And here he is taking a giant pay cut and a demotion to work in the same conference he was already going to be a head coach in. That is crazy. So what are your thoughts on what are your thoughts on Chip Kelly to Ohio State? It is pretty bizarre. Um like I said, he was he was basically applying for jobs everywhere, and he wasn't 
He wasn't trying to hide it either. So he clearly wanted out. No. Um, but there were NFL jobs he yes, was applying for. Yeah. And, and I and I think, you know, with Chip Kelly, I think, you you know, you mentioned before on a previous podcast, like the guy is very much an X's and O's kind of guy. And he in developing players, he really just wants to coach ball. He doesn't want to bother with NIL. He doesn't want to deal with boosters administration, um, what have you, that's not his thing. He doesn't like the politics. He doesn't want to, you know, be that kind of guy. And unfortunately in today's world of college football, that is, you need that as a head coach that has to be one of the hats you wear if you want to find success. Um, which sucks, you know, it didn't used to be that way, but here we are. So I think the fact that, you know, to me, this is more a reflection on UCLA than it is Chip Kelly. Um, in a way, interesting. I think that UCLA with the fact that they do not seem to have much interest in investing in their football program, at least to the point where they, they need to, especially if they're coming up to the big 10, which the reason they joined the big 10 was because they're bleeding money and it's a sinking ship as far as that, uh, um, their finances go. So they're in big trouble there. The Big Ten offered to help them out. Um, hopefully they can make it work and, you know, make the right moves in order to, to get their football program up and running again. But they don't really have much of an NIL. Uh, it's at least it's 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 nothing in comparison to pretty much the rest of the Big Ten at this point in time. Um, and it's 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 yeah. brutal. It's rough stuff over there. And so you have trouble keeping kids, you know, even kids that want to go there. It's tough when they, they're getting offers for, from NIL, from other, any, you know, other programs. And so it's a big deciding factor and hard to make, keep, keep recruits there. It's, you know, it's just, it's basically for lack of a better word, it's, it's pretty much a dumpster fire. And I can't blame Chip Kelly for wanting to get out. It's just rough. He already doesn't like to play that game. And now you're having to play that game in within like the worst possible conditions. You know, can't blame him. It is understandable. I don't have a ton of sympathy for him because it's a dumpster fire. He helped create. I mean, he's had time to build that infrastructure and do the glad handing and all that stuff. And I mean, what you said it, I'm I'll, I'll, I'll just repeat it. Chip Kelly, great play call, caller, not a great program builder, not much of a recruiter. When he was at Oregon, he had this innovative new offense that was shiny and that kind of recruited itself. And then he had also had all that Nike money, which kind of recruited itself at Oregon. And between those two things, he just didn't have to fight as hard to get recruits as he did by the time he got to UCLA when his offense wasn't the shiniest, newest thing on the block. And when he didn't have Phil Knight backing everything he was doing and yeah, Chip Kelly just didn't want to play the game. And that's a game you have to play. You have to hustle. If you're going to be a major college head coach in this time, this, you know, um, in this era, you have to be able to hustle. You have to be raising NIL. You have to be recruiting your tail off all the time. You have to be developing the talent, all that. You have to be begging your supports or you have to be begging your school so you can get more support staff and all that kind of stuff. You need to do a lot of stuff. And Chip Kelly, I think, just wants to coach ball. And I bet you Ryan Day, remember, Ryan Day played quarterback for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire. So these guys grow go back a long way. Uh, I think he grew up very close to him in the same area. So those guys are very close. And I bet you Ryan Day called Chip and was like, hey, Chip, you know, 
I could use a great play caller. And let's say you don't have to really recruit. Like, yeah, you're nine to five. You'll send a few text messages, you know, make a few phone calls, whatever. But not like a lot. Not too much. We'll let the other coaches do all the recruiting. And you just stay in the lab and you scheme up and let's go win. And you scheme things up and let's go win a national title. I feel like that's what the pitch was. Yeah, and it's hard to pass that up when you get to work with that level of talent that Ohio State has. I mean, they it, Ryan Day has built yeah. a team to win a national title. This is probably, in my opinion, the most talented team in college football going into 2024. Spoiler alert for the Ohio State review, but yes, that is part of our review preview of Ohio State. Is that is John is playing his yeah, flag there? It's. So it's got to at least be make it a little easier knowing, you know, for Chip Kelly, maybe gain some confidence, maybe to, you know, not that, you know, he, he needs that. But I'm just saying you get to work with these pieces, man. And that's pretty exciting, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When you've got the fastest, when you have the fastest, most most athletic players around. Yeah, it's fun to coach. Absolutely. That's a good time. So Chip Kelly, I think we'll have a good time. And my guess is this will be a one-year audition. And if he crushes it and Ohio State does what Ohio State wants to do, then this time next year, Chip Kelly will probably be an NFL offensive coordinator where he can go from some recruiting to there no recruiting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There's one last thing I want to say about this, though, before we move on. So I'm going to step on my soapbox just for a minute. Jim Delaney was the commissioner of the Big Ten from 1989 to 2020, just over 30 years. And during that time, not only did the Big Ten reach unprecedented financial heights and become the richest, most powerful conference in college football and attain the highest stature in college football, but he kept order in the league. And one of the ways Jim Delaney reportedly, allegedly kept order in the league is that member schools were absolutely not allowed to steal the head coach from other member schools. He supposedly, Jim Delaney would sit down ADs and make it clear to them that this is the way it was and that they weren't going to do that because it destabilized the league. And for over 30 years, it never happened. And now we see Ohio State plucking a sitting head coach to take a demotion and be the offensive coordinator. The point I'm making, John, is that it's the Wild West out there. There are few rules, and the biggest schools in the sport are openly violating those rules. Things like tampering and pay-for-play, the biggest schools in the sport are openly violating and daring the NCAA to come after them. And saying the NCAA doesn't even have, in Tennessee's case, saying the NCAA doesn't even have legal standing to come after them. And so you're going to see more coaches poached. I think you're going to see a lot more drama in the Big Ten now that these old gentlemen's agreements have gone by the wayside and they no longer apply. So I think we've already had a pretty exciting, dramatic league to cover. John, I think it's only going to get more dramatic in the Big Ten. It's going to be like a soap opera up in here. I really believe that with the way coaches are going to get poached and players are going to get poached. It's going to get get real ugly. I agree, and which is infuriating. I mean, unless Tony Petiti, you know, puts his foot down and puts an puts a stop to that before it even begin. Well, I mean, it already began, um, but decides, decides to say something about it. Um, it's yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's going to be a soap opera and it's going to be frustrating for a lot of fan bases. Um, yeah. 
It's going to be up to the Big Ten SEC advisory board to figure out how to deal with these problems because no one yeah, else is going absolutely. to. Absolutely. I mean, and that's why it was created essentially, you know, to basically lay the groundwork for, for that because the NCAA is toothless. So um, I think, you know, the nice thing about Jim Delaney was just that, and I do, I miss him I, I as a the Big Ten commissioner. He, he was amazing. was brilliant and his his foresight and... Um, you know, his, his ability to, to just understand the direction of college football and where it was headed was just unmatched. Think how revolutionary an idea the big 10 network was was when you started it. Nobody thought a conference could have their own network. They certainly didn't think they could do it outside the, outside the sphere of ESPN controlling content like they do for all of the networks they have agreements with. And big 10 was just like, Nope, we're partnering with Fox. We're doing this. We're going to have our own network. And it became a way for Big Ten teams to be on TV every week. When we were growing up, you know, our younger fans in the audience may not know this, but when we were growing up, you know, every Big Ten team was not on TV every week or even Mm -hmm. most weeks. It was like a big deal sometimes when your team was on TV. You were like excited about it. And if you weren't Michigan or Ohio State, you know, it wasn't happening that often, really. So that we live in a world now that you can watch every single big 10 game on TV pretty much, or no, literally every single one is amazing. It's incredible. And we live in that world because of Jim. Well, and I think, I don't know what network it was. It maybe it was ESPN. Um, but, and I'm sure I could find this information somewhere, but it's, uh, I don't have it at my fingertips. I think he basically was told that this was a bad idea, you know, and he basically there, you know, I don't know if it was like the quote is something about rolling the dice and he was just and I think he said like consider the die cast was like his response like he was like Ooh, it was a big f you like bring you I mean the guy yeah. had balls like he did yes I, oh I miss it and I respect the hell out of him so Anyways, you know, now we, you know, the godfather of college football is Greg Sankey, um, perceived by, you know, for most people um, anyways. And he but he took a lot of lessons and a lot of what he does now was because of Jim Delaney, you know. And so that's why the perception of the SEC is what it is. And Jim De- and uh, Greg Sankey, you know, really kind of just took took over where uh, uh Delaney or Sankey took over for where Delaney left off and just applied it to the SEC. And that's why it's the big yep. two now. That's why it's the big two, because those guys had the vision to capitalize on the advantages they had and they had the advantages and they capitalized yep. on them. But yeah, it's a wild it's world nuts, out man. there. So uh, moving on, should we talk about the connection? The UCLA uh, immediately started a coaching search. Obviously they are desperate to get a coach hired right away um, so that they don't have, you know, their roster walk out the door. And John, a familiar name came up in the, uh, in the was coaching it that time search. of year again. Did we celebrate? I think it's yeah, time we of year again. It seems like it's not because it's warm. So it feels like it should have already yeah, happened, yeah. but it is, it is yeah, that time it's, of year. It's, it's PJ Fleck go, will leave Minnesota to insert name, Insert school name here. I think like that. That's what I think we decided yeah. on the name is. Yeah, yep. something like that. And so, because that's that happens mm-hmm. every single year. It's it is a annual thing um, that we all get to celebrate as Minnesota Golden Gopher fans. 
and really it's been i think since pj touched down in minnesota that the the talk was always oh he's going to be there a year he'll be there two years he'll be gone you know off to somewhere much better than minnesota because it's just such an awful terrible place to coach and and live and you know god i mean why would anybody even want to be there um which is hilarious because most of the people that say that, uh, you know, from at least from rival fan bases, I would uh, maybe not most, but many who say that from rival fan bases actually live in Minnesota, which I find find funny. Um, it's a self, it's a weird self loathing kind is, of thing it is. To, to to hate the place yeah, you live, you know. And they're transplants from bordering states and yeah. those other, you know. But you came there for a reason. You came to Minnesota for a reason. Yeah. Why is that? Anyway, must be terrible, though. Mm-hmm. You know, is this self-punishment? Are you sadistic? I don't know. You know, whatever. Anyway, so here we are. And again, with PJ Fleck coming up as the, you know, the top name for for the UCLA head coaching job. But I have to believe, aside from the fact that, you know, let's just say it. I'm going to say it right now. Minnesota is a better job than UCLA right now. It is a better job. And by far right now, it is. UCLA is cash strapped. They play little brother in their own city. They don't play on campus. So they don't have a home field advantage really because they don't have a student section because they're, you know, they're so far away that the students aren't, aren't making the trek. And I get why PJ comes up, especially for a program for UCLA that needs that kind of coach to talk to the boosters to, you know, recruit well, um, get, and excited. Absolutely. Like I to- and he's the guy. He's he is that kind of guy. So it makes sense. But you have to think that he was well aware of the situation at UCLA and to leave Minnesota where he has things rolling pretty well um, with his with his own culture in place. He's taken, you know, it's been here a long time to get things rolling and moving in the direction he wants it to. Why would you start over in a place that, frankly, was in worse was in a worse spot than Minnesota was when he showed up in some ways, you know, in a lot of ways. So I think to me, yeah. And, and in this new era, um, that's a lot of work. That's going to take a lot of years. And, you know, I just don't think it's worth it to him. No, it would have been, John, here's the point you made to me. And I'm going to say it since I, since you haven't, you said it would have been a bad decision on both sides that PJ Flack would be better at Minnesota and that UCLA would be better going in a different direction. And I think that's true. And let's, you know, let's be real here. PJ Fleck at this point is the third longest tenured coach in the Big Ten. So only James Franklin at Penn State and Kirk Ferentz, the dean at Iowa, have been at their schools longer than PJ Fleck. So if he didn't like it a decent amount, he wouldn't still be around. And what I'll say about it is that college football is transitory. Nothing gold can stay, all that kind of stuff. PJ Fleck is not going to stay in Minneapolis forever. He might leave in a year or five years or 12 years, but he was not going to go to UCLA, which is cash strapped and has all the issues they have right now when he has things rolling pretty well in Minnesota last season, notwithstanding. And, you know, and I just don't even know um, at this point if UCLA could even afford PJ Fleck. Uh, I just. No, they couldn't afford his blood. Well, there you go. I, and 
Well, not not even just that, but John, it's been reported that uh, Deshaun Foster. Well, first of all, Deshaun Foster, the former star running back, is the new UCLA coach. So, congratulations mm-hmm. to him. He's a high energy, younger coach. He understands UCLA. If you're going to go the alum route, he's totally makes sense as a guy with the energy to really put into glad handing boosters and resurrecting a UCLA program that needs to build all that internal infrastructure more even than they need to worry about what's on the field. They need to build out that NIL. They need to build that fan support. You know, they need to figure out how to get more people at their games, frankly. You know, it says, I know it's, they say that they were selling out for, they were selling 47,000 tickets or whatever, 42,000 tickets last year. But man, there weren't anywhere near that amount of people showing up at those games. There was, there was like, those games had like 10, 15,000 people there. There was no one. And the, they were so spread apart. It was, it's ridiculous. So, you know, Deshaun Foster is a high energy guy. He could do a great job or it could be too much of a challenge for him if the administration won't get behind him. So I hope what, what I read though, that, that gives me pause is that allegedly the Bruins program is so cash strapped and such disarray that they are forcing Deshaun Foster to keep the assistants that are already there on existing contracts so that they don't have to pay the buyout. So if that's true and Deshaun Foster really can't bring in his own staff, that is a damning indictment of where UCLA is at financially and they're not, you know, joining the big 10 a moment too soon. Um, but also it is a, th- it's a thing where, um, Oh, I just lost my train of thought. Go ahead. What were you? Gonna I say? was just going to say that, like you know, UCLA is such a historic program, and it really is a shame for this to be this way. Yeah. And you know, and from I, at least from I heard this recently somewhere else, and this is not me. Uh, I but it was I heard like Jim when Jim Mora was was head coach there that they were pulling in like seventy five thousand fans. So and, and that wasn't that yeah. long ago. So no there's something that you need to do and you need to get the students involved and excited. And that is something PJ Fleck did do. He made a point of that. His first few years in Minnesota was, was going out there personally in a lot of ways too. Um, and, you know, interacting with students, getting them there, having, holding events, things like that, like really making them feel like they're a part. He was out in the community. Yep. He was at, he was at all, he was at the wild games. He was at Timberwolves games. He was at twins games. He was at any kind of big event he yep. could go to. He accepted any big speaking event he got, which, you know, to be fair, he apparently commands a pretty hefty speaking fee from what I've heard. I know I actually have personal knowledge okay. of this, John. It's secondhand, but not me. But his, uh, yeah, his speaking fee is, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a nice work if you can get it. Yeah, I'll say about it. But I think, I think that you know, that's what UCLA needs. A guy like that, that the students are going to want to want to go and see, and and someone who can get them excited about UCLA football. You know, and that's going to go. That's going to take more than just him. But he needs to. He needs to get the administration on board. He needs to get the boosters on board. And it's a big undertaking. And I just don't think PJ Fleck was willing to uh, deal with that. It's essentially just starting over. No, he's done a he's done a couple big rebuilds. Why did why would he want to do another giant rebuild yeah. again? Um, Deshaun Foster, young, hungry coach looking to prove himself. He's kind of probably a perfect, you know, understands UCLA. He's probably a perfect pick. Will it work out? I think Deshaun Foster will succeed if the administration gets behind him. And if they're making him keep those coaches, then they'd better give him like seven years 
because those first two years with a staff that he doesn't even necessarily want are going to be could be tough. You know, where where that program's at, the way they've been recruiting, all that kind of stuff. They could be tough on the field. So, you know, they better not fire him in three years. I don't care what it looks like on the field. They better give him the time and and you know to build out that infrastructure and make it happen. Yeah, I totally agree, man. All right. So let's we'll move on then to John. There's been a new deal. This is breaking news in the last couple of days here. ESPN. And the college football playoff have reached a six-year, $7.8 billion, with a B, media rights expan- uh, extension for the expanded playoffs at Andrew Marchand reports. Um, quote, the network will host the 12-team playoff through the 2031-32 season, according to the report. The full contract still has yet to be completed, though. So, John, not only do we have ESPN Broadcasting the playoff through 2025, 26, which is what we were going to have anyway. But now we're stuck with ESPN running the entire college football playoff for another six years. And this just sucks for anybody who's not the SEC, in my opinion. ESPN is going to hype up the SEC as they always do because they get have a giant exclusive TV agreement with them. And this impacts people who do media who are at other outlets because ESPN has such a big megaphone and people, this impacts people who vote in the AP poll in the college football playoff committee, people who are in vote in the coaches poll. They are all, they are all impacted by the media ecosystem they live in. And because of this, John, I predict that sec teams will always get the benefit of the doubt going against another, other squads when it comes to the college football playoff. And if you think I'm exaggerating and I'm, I'm getting a little, get a little warm on this now, then explain to me how an undefeated Florida State squad that crushed two SEC powers last year somehow got left out of a four-team playoff in favor of an Alabama squad that lost to Texas. Why did one loss Alabama get the benefit of the doubt over undefeated FSU? The Jordan Travis QB injury was just an excuse to do what they were going to do anyway, which was put Alabama ahead of an undefeated Power 5 team with a better resume than the tide had Kirk Herbstreet said before Jordan Travis got hurt. He said an sec champion Bama would get in over Florida state. He said that before Travis even got hurt. So think about that for a minute. Herbstreet was already discounting FSU's undefeated season before the injury to their QB. So the way I see it, the good news in a four-team playoff is that undefeated Power Four teams will make the playoff for sure. But the bad news is when it comes to slots 10 through 12 at the fringes of the playoff, the SEC will always have an advantage as long as ESPN has sole control of broadcasting the playoff. I think we need all the networks that broadcast college football to have a stake in the college football playoff. It's the only chance of achieving some equity, especially now we live in a world where the TV networks run the sport. We need all the TV networks to have a stake in this thing or else it's just going to be unbelievably tilted. I don't know, John, I'm kind of, I'm kind of mad about this. I'm like, I'm feeling myself getting upset. I'm pissed about it as well. I, I ESPN is already and has been for, I don't know, two decades. Uh, who knows more? Um, at least two decades. It seems like two decades, uh, two decades of, yeah. of just being completely and utterly biased and, um, you know, in favor of the SEC and quite frankly, taking shots whenever they can at their main competitor, the Big Ten. 
um, and either totally ignoring or also uh, poo-pooing um, all of the other conferences as well. Uh, it's it's it really bothers me, and I didn't expect this. I was hoping that you know there would be more of a push. No, I didn't think so. Yeah. No, no, sorry, sorry. no. Oh, I I just I thought there was going to be more of a push from Fox, ABC, CBS, whatever, um, and do it more yeah. like the NFL does it. Um, and I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know how this went through. I don't know how they got that. I know ESPN has been sucking air for money and maybe this was like their last ditch effort and they were doing something for, you know, the, this is desperate. And they were like, we'll do anything for this because that's the only thing we got left is, is to, uh, um, you know, air these games. And, and so that it, it went through, um, I, 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 whoever made the deal, you know, kudos to you, but it's disgusting for the rest of us. And, I don't think I'm being um, I don't think you and I are being like like overstating this or or trying or exaggerating um, we're about the fact that this is they are incredibly biased towards the SEC. And it was funny because I was listening to a podcast. I mean, we just saw it happen. Absolutely. We just saw it happen. And I was listening to a podcast today, the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast with Ralph Russo. And he was interviewing. I, and unfortunately, I just I don't remember exactly who he was interviewing, but they, the, they were talking about how. This person said, you know, I, I've had a feeling when I've watched um, uh, when I've watched Fox, whenever I've watched a broadcast, a Fox broadcast of a college football game, that they're 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 pumping up the Big Ten. And I'm like, I mean, which maybe they are, but I don't hear it anywhere near as much as the SEC um, who doesn't. It's their product. Of course, they're pumping and they it should, up. And he was making that point. But like it was basically downplaying. That ESPN, you know, yes, they do it, but it's like, it's really not that bad. And I'm like, well, what? no, it's been, it is, ESPN has been so blatant about their bias and it's and unapologetically so, and it bothers me. And I think it bothers a lot of people. And yes, so if you're the SEC, good for you. Now it, you're, I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't have any other words. I'm sorry. I'm getting lost. So you go ahead. <laughs> no, here's what I'll say. But here's what I'll say, John. If you look, you look 15, 20 years yeah. ago, right? The ACC was a recruiting force. The ACC recruited at almost as high a level as the SEC and the Big Ten, sometimes mm-hmm. even better. And it was more disparate like that. And I, it was only after ESPN went all the way in the tank for the SEC that we saw the recruiting start to centralize where the SEC became the top thing. And then, you know, Urban Meyer came to the Big Ten and then the rise of the Big Ten happened, which has happened over the last 12 years. And now we've got a situation where the Big Ten competes with the SEC, but the SEC still, you know, has the most access to talent and the highest recruiting rankings. And I just, I don't think that happened in a vacuum. You know, I don't think, I think you have to say that ESPN had part of that you know, had a part in that. And when you look at the damage that's done to the, just, you know, the ACC and where we are now, I think it's fair to be worried that ESPN's influence over the sport could cause more damage going forward and could be a big problem. And that's why I just think all these stakeholders need to be in it. And I hope, I hope the first thing the Big Ten SEC Advisory Committee gets to is to say, hey, this isn't going to happen mm-hmm. again. Next time we're opening it up, next time we need representation at the table. Because the TV network sport run the sport, John. Yeah. You know that. So if you're not at the table, then you don't have any control. And if ESPN has control, you know, which they do, I just 
get ready for get ready for four or five, even five SEC teams in a twelve team playoff. Yep. I'm serious. Every I'm serious. Year. Well, they get the they get the preseason rankings. Like they're set up for it every single year. The only thing now that might be somewhat working in everyone else's favor is that they might be going to a nine game conference schedule. Um, and how long is that seriously. taken for the SEC to finally let's let's talk about that for a second? When everyone else has been grinding and playing nine games for the SEC and the ACC to be playing these candy, these ridiculous eight game schedules has been abysmal i mean when does alabama and georgia have been the two preeminent teams and they never play in the regular season yep. seemingly you know but they're you know they got a schedule of the sisters of the poor in there so it just yeah you need that layup game that in the second to last it's tradition the second to last week of november is layup yeah City. we need it let's do that you should have a yeah. scrimmage nobody else does but they do so nobody else gets it but the sec yeah. gets to do that so but not any not anymore no. Not so we'll see. We'll see. But yeah, but even still, I, I assume the same thing that it'll be four to five SEC teams, no matter what, because they just get the benefit of the doubt, you know, but it, I think with the Big Ten choosing not to associate themselves with, with ESPN, I think to me right there just proves that, yeah, there is a problem with ESPN. It's been a problem. It still is a problem. Um, and I don't care who you are or how you try to spin it to me that, it, that they're not biased. Um, you can take a freaking hike. Um, I don't care how long you've been in the business, how long you've studied this or whatever, and whoever you think you are and what kind of clout you may have I, and good for you. But I've heard other people trying to defend it and I think it's absolute BS. And yeah. you have, you've, you have some brain rot. If you've watched the sport over the last 17-ish years like we have, and if you don't think that ESPN has a serious bias, then there is a bridge in Brooklyn I would love to sell you. You are going to think it's awesome. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well. All right. Well, we got a little yeah, ranty yeah, there, Maybe John. it's time to move on before we, you know, I don't, we don't need to go any more into that. Yeah, for sure. Should we get into yeah, these reviews? All right. First up, we are reviewing. I'm always excited about these reviews. We are rev- we are uh, doing the Ohio State Buckeyes, and our insider is Max, who is at Geitman underscore Max. That's G E I T T M A N N underscore Max. So, want to thank Max for his thoughtful responses. He gave us a lot of good stuff to use, and you know, please go give him a follow on Twitter. He's a great follow. Uh, for all things college football and all things Buckeyes. Absolutely. Thanks, Max. All right. So what position groups were good in 2023-24? The position groups that were the best, in Max's opinion, were the wide receivers and the defensive backs. They both showed exceptional skill on the field, and it's not a coincidence that they went up against each other in practice. Iron sharpens iron, he says. And I'll say, John, for my opinion, I think you have to throw the D-line in there as well. That Buckeyes D-line was absolutely suffocating and made it tough on opponents all year long. So I think I would throw that. I would agree with the wide receivers and defensive backs, but I'd throw in the D-line too. All right, which struggled? The position groups that struggled the most were the QBs and the O-line. We saw one of the worst QBs in recent OSU history at our starting spot in Kyle McCourt. That's These are Max's words, remember people. And the guys behind him weren't any better. It was a sharp contrast to the QBs that Day has had before McCord. And then the OL. I think that it was a unit that was not ready for the season. We saw them improve throughout the year and then ultimately play poorly again in the Cotton Bowl. 
but I don't think we did enough to get them ready before the season. Uh, John, I saw your eyes almost pop out of your head when Max uh, stated that it was one of the worst QBs in recent OSU history. John, how does that, what were your thoughts there? I just moment? like, again, I, I know Ohio state fans and Michigan fans, like they don't live in the same world that you and I do or most. Of the- no, they live yeah. in a world of wonder, imagination, candy and yeah, lemon it, drops. They really do. So hearing this all season long about how Kyle McCord is somehow awful is just bonkers to me. Um, wild, a wild Wild. statement to make. Um, if, if all, you know, is Ohio state football, um, I, I can kind of, I have to try to understand that. I don't because I don't live in that world. Um, I'm a gopher fan. So I don't know if you can put yourself in my shoes. Probably not. You've never maybe had to, but, um, Kyle McCord is not a bad quarterback. Now, was he CJ Stroud? Absolutely not. But he by no means is terrible or awful. So I'm sorry. I just I, no. I Ohio State fans love you. And but yeah, I just this he was no by no means an awful quarterback, in my opinion. Yeah, I thought Kyle McCord was extremely yeah. good. I really did. And he got better as the yes, year he did. went on. And imagine what he could have done next year. Yep. If he had stayed in the system, I really think he could have taken the next step and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? That's on him. He wasn't ready. He wasn't willing to compete. He could have stayed and competed for his job. He hopped in the portal and took the easy way out. So, you know, there is that. But yeah, I so I thought that was so. So, Max, we love you, but we disagree with you a little bit, a little bit right there. Um, I will say for the O-line, I do agree with you there, though. I think the offensive tackles particularly were Mm -hmm. shaky. And in the bigger games, we saw those tackles struggle quite a bit against da- talented edge rushers. So my biggest question for Ohio State going into next season, I'm just going to jump to that right now, is will they be pr- improved at the offensive tackle spots? That might decide, John, whether they are good enough to win a national title or not. True. Well, you saw what Michigan had to do, and, and the line of scrimmage is everything. And if you can dominate there, it's it's that's the that's the formula you need man and i think ohio state can do that um obviously they have the horses to do that with um over there in columbus but if they can't make a gel uh you know it could be problematic but they've got a lot of good pieces around it yep absolutely all right uh next question which position coaches were successful or unsuccessful in your opinion um Max thought the uh, most successful is obvious. It's Brian. It's uh, Brian Hartline at wide receiver coach, but he's going to go in a different direction. He thinks that the work that Tim Walton did with their corners and safeties was very, very impressive. Walton is the corners coach, but also the secondary coach. Um, if you compare 22-23 to 23-24, the improvement is great. Uh, a lot of the struggles in 22-23 uh, came with having a new defensive coordinator and new scheme. However, the improvement was above and beyond what most people expected it to be. Choosing position coaches that weren't successful is difficult. You know, Ohio State had a pretty great year. He said, I could say Larry Johnson on the D-line, but compared to the other D-lines, we weren't bad, just didn't live up to the Buckeye standard. All right, I don't, I don't know about that. I thought the D-line was great. Like, I don't, maybe, maybe they didn't have like a Chase Young or like an, or like a Bosa brother at defensive end this year, but man, they were, they were rock solid up front. I thought, um, 
And then uh, he said, but I think the one that stands out the most is Justin Fry on the O-line for struggling. We've had OL recruiting struggles recently, which is true, um, but at least they had a good unit on the field. But last year, that wasn't the case. They saw a bunch of unforced penalties from the OL, blocking issues from all around as well. Um, Like he previously mentioned, they did improve game after game, but it was a position that stood out the most. I agree. Like I said, I think the offensive tackles really struggled. And I think Ohio State needs to either from development within the program or in the transfer portal needs to address that offensive tackle position. Um, and that's probably the only position they need to address at this point because they're so loaded, but we'll get to that a little later. Um, what injuries hurt the most? Ohio state was lucky to not have that many injuries that were long-term uh, losing a guy like Zendel Burke for a game or two would normally drastically hurt the team, but a bat with a backup like Jermaine Matthews, the transition was seamless. The two biggest injuries were to safety Lathan Ransom suffering a season ender during the Wisconsin game and Devin Brown getting hurt so early in the Cotton Bowl. Both those injuries created question marks for the Buckeyes. John, in my opinion, the Devin Brown injury pretty much ensured that Ohio State was going to lose to Mizzou. Yep. That frosh behind him was not ready for the big stage, and I don't think probably ever will be. And Ryan Day did not have much of a game plan ready, if we are being perfectly honest. Um, we talked about it in the bowl pod a little bit, but Ryan Day mailed it in during bowl season, and that isn't cool. Yeah. Both he and James Franklin did at, pulled absolute no-shows, and as a Big Ten fan, I didn't appreciate Same. it. Bowl games are for the players and the fans, and I believe Ryan Day let Buckeye fans down with how lackadaisical his bowl prep reportedly was. Reportedly not, you know, going hard at practice and not using all your practices and, you know, stuff like that from both of those schools. Um, oh, that still makes me, yeah, I know we already talked about that, so we don't need to talk about it again, but that still makes me mad even thinking about it. And But, you know, and that's why, and that's part of why Ryan Day is on a little bit of a hot yep. seat right now. Because, yes, he lost to Michigan, but it's also not cool to show up, fall flat in your face in a bowl game and be totally uncompetitive offensively, which they yes. were. All right. What were your most pivotal games and how did they go? Our most pivotal games were Notre Dame. Uh, he's put Michigan as T-ton. I'm not sure why Ohio State fans do that. I got to get someone to explain to me the T-ton thing. And uh, Missouri. We went one and two in those games. If you look at the results of the season for most teams, that'd be successful. However, it did not meet the Buckeye standard. Our most important games did not go well, so it was not a successful season in my book. John, it seems crazy to sit here and look at 11-2 and two Ohio State and say it wasn't a successful season for the Buckeyes, but Ohio State is judged at a different level than everybody else. Yeah. They just are. Um, no, yeah, I, I think I think it's fair. You know, and I think you and know, I, we talked about that too um, previously on another pod, is that, that they are judged differently, and they should be. Um, with how well yep. they recruit, with historically how they've been, um, that is just the way it is, and that's the way it will remain. So it is a, it is a failure of a season in that regard because it is always in Columbus. It's always a national title or bust. Yep, always, and they haven't won one since 2014. And the natives are getting restless. How do you feel? Next question about the coaching staff and were there any coaching staff changes during or after the season? What are your thoughts on the new and departing coaches? Um, Max thinks the coaching staff is good. We have some great defensive coaches and there's a few good uh, offensive coaches as well. However, I do think Ryan Day is underperforming for the standards and expectations that we have. We had some coaching changes for sure and they improved the team. Getting a veteran head coach like Chip Kelly to come to Columbus is a great move and getting new safeties coach Matt Guerreri was also a great pickup. 
Um, we fired the worst coach on staff in special teams, coach Parker Fleming, which is a good thing. He thinks that coach day made the right choice about whom he told to leave and whom he brought in. And I think John, as you and I can both attest, if you have a bad special teams coach, you got to just let yes. him go. <laughs> All right. Uh, do your new coaches seem better or worse than the coaches they replaced? Um, Max thinks they're better for sure. They've been successful ever everywhere they've been and bring a new dynamic to Columbus. And he thought they have more experience than the staff, you know, had last year in some ways, which players will make an immediate impact next year. Transfer wise, it's QB, Will Howard, RB, Quinshawn Judkins, former Alabama center, Seth McLaughlin and safety, Caleb Downs, also from Alabama. And then recruiting wise, it's all eyes on five-star wide receiver, Jeremiah Smith. Uh, a new QB will always make a massive impact if they immediately start. And Max expects Howard to start from day one. He's dynamic and a step up from what we had last season, in Max's opinion. Quinshawn Judkins was the best RB in the SEC last year, so getting him from Ole Miss will be a massive get when it's all said and done. Pairing him with Travion Henderson creates the best duo in the country. And um, the RB room, yeah, will be nasty. Seth McLaughlin fills in at center, a position that they needed. Some people say they should be moving him to guard would, would be better um, because of his snapping issues. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with him there. And then Caleb Downs, what do you have to say? He was one of, if not the best defensive player in the country last year. He comes into an already loaded and proven DB room, um, playing at safety with Lathan Ransom. And uh, he thinks that, um, he will also return punts for them. And then Jeremiah Smith, freak athlete. We'll have to see, is he, you know, is he going to be like a Marvin Harrison who on day from day one demands the ball and demands to be a part of the game plan. He was the number one recruit in the whole class. So I think that that's a, absolutely a possibility. John Ohio state going to be absolutely loaded next year, talent wise and experience wise. It's jaw dropping stuff. In my opinion, you have to move McLaughlin to guard. His snapping issues helped sink Alabama in that semifinal game against Michigan. And I don't think you can risk him reverting to that form yeah. again. Move him to guard. Let him do what he was born to do, which is pancake block dudes into yep. the ground. Um, you know, I think that taking a dual threat QB like Will Howard, adding Judkins to a backfield that already includes Henderson, that combination is going to lead to some gaudy rushing stats. I think Ohio State runs the ball more next year and plays more power football. Will they still throw it all over the yard? Yes, I do think they will. But this offense will lean on the run more than we've seen under Ryan Day previously. And that's something where we'll see from Chip Kelly because he's the kind of guy who, you know, really loves to run the ball in different creative ways. Um, yeah, wide receiver Jeremiah Smith, man. Number one recruit in the class. I cannot wait to see that guy play and see where he's at in year one. And, and you know, Caleb Downs. Those guys going up against each other in practice is going to be something to see for the people who can get to a Buckeyes practice. Yeah, I mean, this team is going to be absolutely loaded in so many ways. I do agree with you. I think they're going to be going more with that power power type offense. Um, but I, I am curious of how well, if this really is going to be an upgrade or if it's just going to be um, more or less the same stats as far as like the passing game goes. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I know that he's more um, more mobile than Kyle McCord, but I'm just... I'm interested to see how that pans out. I really am to see how, how much of an upgrade that they're hope if it's going to be the upgrade that they're hoping it to be. Yeah. I mean, I think Will Howard's a guy who, when he's at his best is both running and throwing. 
And I think Buckeye fans should be ready for that. I think we're going to see that. And I think, I think it's going to be a little bit like it was under JT Barrett, where it was kind of that power spread and the QB was a threat to run the ball and he could break off big runs, but also throw it deep down the field. And it'll be kind of an exciting big play offense. Yeah. All right. How'd you do in the transfer portal, both losing and gaining players? Ohio State did great. Obviously, the talent that they lost, although they were skilled players, was not a tremendous hit. Um, it weakens the depth, though, a little bit. Transfer additions, absolute beasts. Pulled in um, guys to fill all the holes that they pretty much had other than offensive tackle. So not many transfer classes were better than ours, he said, and that's true. Um, I agree it sucks to lose a guy like Julian Fleming at wide receiver, but you're going to lose depth pieces when guys are playing behind superstars. That's just going to happen. What are your thoughts about all three of your coordinators, offense, defense, and special teams? Well, he says Ohio State only has two coordinators because Parker Fleming got fired this offseason. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see who's in charge of Ohio State special teams. I don't know if they, I don't think they've announced that yet. Uh, defensively, Jim Knowles is a great guy for the job. We rebuild a defense that was flat out bad into a good defense in year one and a great defense in year two. He's also bought, brought in guys like Caleb Downs and hired Matt Guerrero, um, and also brought in Tim Walton, who was maybe the best recruiter in the nation over the past few months, according to Max. So he feels good about that. Offensively, different story. Thinks Brian Hartline's a great guy and an amazing wide receiver coach and recruiter. However, he struggled in year one as an OC, and that's why they brought in a guy like Chip Kelly with the extensive experience he has to help out that offense and help Hartline, I think, develop as an OC. I think the hope would be, John, that Heartline develops under Kelly this year and that after Kelly takes off for the NFL after a year or two at Ohio State, that Heartline would be ready to take over for yeah. good. All right. Um, Jim Knowles, my take, Jim Knowles, the defense, a genius at DC, and Chip Kelly and Ryan Day are some of the best offensive minds in the game. The Buckeyes have as much coaching talent on the sideline as they do player talent on the gridiron. What letter grade would you give your team for this past season? Uh, the grade I would... Max would give would be a C minus. He says he knows that sounds crazy, but they lost a T ton. Put the T ton thing again. I got to find out yeah, what that is. Sure. We didn't. He says he didn't make it to the conference championship, didn't compete for a national championship, and did not even win a bowl game, which is true. Season was full of shortcomings and what ifs, and that's why um, he graded it so low. You know, and I think you know again, Ohio State's held to a different standard. So yes, it was eleven and two, but it was as ugly as eleven and two could be with the brutal loss to Michigan and then the loss to Missouri where they just weren't competitive on offense. And to be, you know, if that game, the Missouri game, that bowl game had looked different, I would, I'd have, there wouldn't be that bad taste in your mouth. I think as a, as a Buckeye fan, it's that really for me sealed the deal. Yes. You didn't get to a national title and there, you're already going to be already going to be bitter about that. But that bowl game, dude, just it, like you said, man, it makes it just makes me angry thinking about it and why, because it was so upsetting to watch. You knew that the better team talent wise lost that game. It was strictly up to the coaching, uh, the lack thereof of coaching. They weren't ready offensively, even before Devin Brown got no, hurt. They, they weren't, weren't ready. They, I honestly still think they would have lost that game, even if Devin Brown stayed healthy. Yes, I do. I do, too. I absolutely think they would have lost. They might have scored one more time but it was it was pretty ugly uh all right what position groups are you most excited to see going to spring ball and why 
Max is really excited about the DBs and running backs. Also the offensive line. They return nearly every DB starter with the exception of Josh Proctor, but he's being replaced by Caleb Downs. So no drop off there. Running backs are two of the best in the country. Uh, the OL wants to see the improvement that's been needed and that it thinks it can be a historically good shot, good squad if they show up and show out. Um, yeah, John, for me, I don't, I think all eyes are on Will Howard. Does he have what it takes to lead a team on a national title run? I don't know if he is that kind of passer. I'm not saying he's yeah. not, but I don't know that he is. He needs to prove to me that he's the kind of guy who can throw the ball consistently enough to run a national title contending offense. And this is going to be a whole nother, whole nother game, you know, too, like playing at Ohio state in the big 10 with the schedule that they're going to have in the new big 10. I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be rough, man. And so it's not the big 12. This is a much bigger stage. You're, you know, you're playing for, and I hate saying this, you're playing for the Ohio state Buckeyes. Uh, (laughs) uh, uh, Anyway. All right. It came out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but that is that that's the expectation you know and so i think it's it's gonna it will it'll be interesting that's what i'm looking forward to the most next question which position does your team most need to address in the spring transfer portal um max thinks the right side of the offensive line and you know and the other position that needs some depth is linebacker I think it's both offensive tackles they could use to upgrade personally. And I would like to see, you know, so I'd like to see Ohio state still get a couple few guys on the O line. How's your team doing NIL wise? Is your collective growing? Do you utilize a pay for play model like an Ohio state or do you wait until guys pay guys until they produce on the field from what he's understood before this most recent scene season, Ohio state only had NIL deals once the players were signed and enrolled. Um, he's not sure if that's changed now though. I think it probably has to see with what they're doing and the guys they're bringing in. I assume they're promising these guys money in advance or else I can't imagine they'd be recruiting as even Ohio state as good as they are. The way they're recruiting is pretty insane. It really is national title or bust for Ohio state. John, there was a rumor I heard. They didn't say Ohio state's name, but a very prominent college football podcast said that there was a team that was spending. 20 million on its roster for next year. Two zero. And if that's not Ohio State, I don't know who it is. You know, I'd be shocked if it's anybody else with what they've done in the portal. All arrows point to Ohio State, dude. It really does. I don't know who else it could possibly be. Yeah. So the time to win a title is now. And if Ryan Day doesn't at least come close to that, he's getting fired. I, Ohio State absolutely will not accept a fourth straight loss to Michigan in a year when the Wolverines are rebuilding. Like, forget all the other games. If Ryan Day loses the game next year, he's done. I don't think he can survive no. it. I don't unless they unless they lost the maybe if they went eleven and one, lost the game, and then won the national title and beat Michigan on their way to the national no. title, then then maybe they people would get over it. But. I just don't think he can survive another loss to Michigan because what would we say? He loses another one. That's one in four. One in four is the same percentage John Cooper had at two mm-hmm. and eight. And if you get into John Cooper territory, you're getting fired yep. is what's going to happen. So in my opinion, John, Ryan Day's legacy gets decided this yep. year. The stakes couldn't be any higher from a program buy-in standpoint. It This year just has to be the year 
that they win the title or Ohio State fans are going to explode with rage. That's all there is to it. I was there after the loss to Michigan in 2022. Fans were ready to fire Ryan Day then. If he loses four in a row, I just don't think there's any recovering from recovering with that fan base. I think the bad taste in their mouth will be, that'll be it. So what do you think, John? What do you think about Ryan Day? Going well, and if season? you, if he can't win with this roster, then I, then he's never going to win. And, and with Michigan going to be, you know, well, for, for Michigan standards, they're going to be down. I expect anyways, next year, um, they're not going to be the same team. They were this, this year, this last year. So <clears throat> if he can't pull that out, yeah, I totally agree. I think he'll be gone um, if they don't make a solid run to the national title. If they don't make at least make the title game, I think he could also be gone. Uh, it just Ohio yeah. State is it's like you said, it's been since 2014. Um, that is way too long for a program that recruits as well as they do, that spends the money they do. Um that's unacceptable. They should be at least ha- uh, have gotten to the national title more often than they have, and probably at least one, one or two more times. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And that's why Ohio State is going to be fascinating to watch this yep. year because Ryan Day is in the meat grinder, and every single game is going to be a big deal because any single game could be the game that ends Ryan ends the Ryan day era, or it could be the game that helps propel them to a national yep. title either way. I don't think there's any no, in between. It's, it's two extremes for sure. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So that is our review of the Ohio state Buckeyes. Thanks again to max um, for that. Thanks max. Next up, we have the Northwestern wildcats. Our Northwestern insiders are the folks over at the wild chat. So thanks so much. The wild chat is a great Northwestern podcast and we encourage you to follow them on Twitter and also listen to their stuff. It's just a great source for all things Northwestern. And it's, they're great people. And honestly, like there, there's not a lot of sources for it and, and I'm not no shade. It's just the truth. So the fact that they have put this together and and they put out quality information, they know their stuff. Um, it's really worth worthwhile if you're just a Big Ten fan and you want to understand each team and and where they're at and people that don't know what they're talking about. This is where you should definitely go. Yep, absolutely agree with that. All right, first question up: Which position groups were good, and which struggled? Good positions were QB, wide receiver, and D-line. Struggling positions were running back, offensive line. Injury that hurt the most was Ben Bryant for a couple of games. Um, They feel like maybe they could have won the games that he missed if he was available. John, I would agree that Ben Bryant missing any time was bad because he lit it up last year. He was absolutely fantastic and arguably the best QB in the Big Ten not named J.J. McCarthy. Mm -hmm. But I would add that Northwestern also really excelled at linebacker. Bryce Gallagher and Xander Mueller led the team in tackles at 120 and 110 tackles, respectively. Mueller also had five sacks. The pair combined for four interceptions, four passes defended. And most importantly to me, seemingly every time the Cats needed a huge play in the red zone on defense and needed a goal line stand, who was it? It was Xander Mueller making that play. I forget the game, but in one game he had two separate goal line stops. One was a fourth down where they got the ball back. And one was a third down 
where they got a tackle for loss mm. and forced a field goal. And I was like, they should have, you know, Northwestern should have given up 14 points there and they gave up three. So, you know, feel big ups to the, uh, to the Northwestern linebackers. They were salty all year. Absolutely. Um, which injuries hurt the most losing Ben? Oh wait, we did that one already. And which position coaches were successful, unsuccessful? Uh, they didn't answer, but based on what it sounds like, QB wide receiver and D line did well. While the running backs and O line struggled, I think I would agree with that from watching their games yeah. this year. What were the most pivotal games? Didn't really have a ton of pivotal games since we were basically playing with house money the entire season. However, biggest games were Minnesota when we came down from 21 in the fourth quarter to win the first Big Ten game at home in like two years. Also, winning at Wisconsin and Illinois on the road was huge and sending Ryan Field off with a bang against Purdue. Yeah, John, I'm still having flashbacks to the fourth quarter of that Northwestern-Minnesota game. The Gophers had that one all but one. They were up 21 points well into the fourth quarter when Ben Bryant just went nuclear and the Cats roared back and stole one. I can't say enough positive things about the play of Ben Bryant last year. He really was He was incredible. I, I really do my best to block out that game. Um, so every time I have yeah. to talk about it, <laughs> it just, I get a, a, a sour pit in my stomach. Um, so thanks for that. But you're absolutely right. Ben Bryant was amazing. Um, total surprise. And man, I mean, he could, he could throw some dimes, dude. It was, it was beautiful. Yeah, he was, it's, it's honestly, it's too bad. He only gets the one year in the big 10. Cause he was, it was pretty great. Um, how do you feel about the coaching staff? Coaching was incredible. David Braun is amazing and they all love him. What he did this season was nothing short of incredible. Uh, the fact he went eight and five with this roster when Fitz went one and 11 the year before shows that Braun was the better coach. There were changes. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll address. Yeah, sorry. I was in, that was another note. All right. Um, yeah, John, I mean, David Braun won big 10 coach of the year. You can't do better than that. You can't do better than that in your first year. He went eight and five with a team that was supposed to go one and eleven and won Big Ten Coach of the Year. That's that's as good as it gets. It, and, and you know, I gotta say it's it's borderline miraculous what he pulled off. Oh, incredible! I, I can't. It's got pixie yeah, dust. I can't overstate this enough. The man deserved to be co- Big Ten Coach of the Year. Um, and I, I I found myself even after you know the loss, uh, rooting for Northwestern the rest of the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which coaches did you lose? Or no, sorry, how do you uh, do in the transfer portal gaining losing players? They lost a good amount of defensive backs through the transfer portal, which is arguably their biggest loss. Those are tough positions to lose production in as it takes guys time to get up to speed playing in the defensive backfield. Um, it's not like, say, D-line where you can kind of just let guys loose a little bit early in their careers. DB's got to make a lot of keys, so that hurts. Uh, which coaches did they lose? They got rid of Bajakian, the offensive coordinator this year, which was a good decision. They felt like he held the offense back at times. They don't really know a lot about some of the new coordinators just yet. So, John, I was looking at the new defensive coordinator is Tim McGargle, Mm -hmm. who was the linebackers coach. He obviously did a great job last year, so he deserves a chance to prove himself, I think, as D.C. with what he did with those linebackers. And let's be real. This is David Braun's defense. Yeah. You know, so he's the defensive coordinator, but David Braun's running the show. So ultimately, you know, he's calling the plays, but David Braun's going to be the guy who just who who coaches him up and gets gets them where he wants to be. So if he's got confidence in McGargle, then I'm sure, you know, he's probably a good hire. 
And then the new offensive coordinator is South Dakota State's offensive coordinator, Zach Lugin. Lugin called the national title game for the FCS champion Jackrabbits this year. SDSU ranked as the third best scoring offense in the FCS. And I can attest from watching them, the Jackrabbits were absolutely dominant. It's ballsy to elevate a coach who's so young and, and, and from the FCS. I mean, he's only 28, but he's accomplished a lot in a short amount of time. And Braun's obviously impressed with him. So the coaches get younger and younger, John. It's, it's kind of wild sometimes. All right. What grade would you give the team for the last season? Team gets an A for last season, just based on what the expectations were. I fully agree with that. Northwestern is supposed to go one and 11, not eight and five. They get an A for sure. hundred percent agree. And then what positions does your team need to address in the transfer portal? They think O-line and quarterback seems like Brendan Sullivan is slated to be the guy, but they think he can, they can improve on him because he's, you know, not always the most accurate. I thought Sullivan was pretty good last year. In my opinion, John, I thought he was fairly accurate. He wasn't as good as Bryant, but, um, but he was pretty good. He didn't have the arm strength of Bryant in my opinion, but he, I thought he was fairly accurate and yeah, I mean, mobile, uh, He was tough, man. He was a, he was a tough opponent. So I I don't think he's it's that bad. I guess. Um, no, I think you could do a lot worse than absolutely as your starting quarterback. Yeah. Um, but I I could see if Northwestern wants to try to upgrade there, sure. they could. I do think it's really tough to find offensive linemen in the portal, yeah. John, especially offensive tackles. So especially you know with Northwestern where they're at uh, infrastructure wise, I'm not sure if they're going to have a lot of luck there. So hopefully they can have some internal development at those positions. Uh, How is NIL going? What kind of model do you use? NIL, they doesn't know a lot about it, but he assumes they're struggling. (laughs) So (laughs) thanks for being honest. I think if, if you were doing better, you would probably know, probably know more about it because the wild chat's pretty true. That is true. Yeah. Uh, Here's a wild, here's a curveball, John. The big question about next year will be the stadium Mm -hmm. Just because we don't yet know where we will be playing, and there's a possibility they might have games at multiple stadiums. So, John, I looked into this, and here's what I found out. Ryan Field is being demolished, as we know. It's going to take until 2026 to build a new stadium. So, in the meantime, this is the plan. Quote, Northwestern's looking into playing its home games this upcoming football season at a combination of venues that would include Soldier Field, Wrigley Field, and Guaranteed Rate Field, according to sources cited by Crane Chicago Business. Sources said that all three options pose unique scheduling issues, which is why NU is looking to play games across multiple venues as opposed to just one. Additional venues will also be considered. They must wait until the NFL is scheduled released in early May before anything can get finalized. Northwestern will be without its home field for at least two full seasons while the new Ryan Field is under construction. John, this is insane. Northwestern already has very little home field advantage. In fact, they have almost none. But playing off campus the next two years, they're going to have no home field advantage That's at all. Brutal, dude. This is going to be a monumental challenge for Braun's staff. Everybody else in the country has a home stadium they play at every home game, except Northwestern, who will be traveling to a hodgepodge of off-campus stadiums. John, that sounds like a total disaster. What do you think about uh, that? I think that sounds awful. Um, also, you know, I can't stress this enough, and we've talked about it during the uh, the bowl review pod. Playing in baseball stadiums is an awful idea. It should it should be banned. They, they, it yes. should not happen. Like continue to play at Soldier Field. Continue to play at Guaranteed Rate. Wherever you got, wherever else you can possibly go play at a freaking high school. I would rather see that 
happen than play at a baseball field. I think it's just it's dangerous for both teams. It's just stupid. So um, but it sucks. Yeah. I mean, for for a program with a fan base that that has a hard time showing up, um, it's this is going to make it even more difficult. And Chicago has a lot of alums from all over the Big Ten. So I know that you're already used to this, Northwestern fans, but prepare for it to possibly be even worse coming into some of these other bigger venues. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are going to be a lot of opposing fans at these games. Like there often are at Northwestern games, but I think it's going to be it's going to be pretty it's going to be pretty bad. So I hope they give David Braun a long runway because it's possible the next two years are going to be harder than last year. Last year was kind of Cinderella miracle season. It's possible that while he's building up his program, it'll be harder uh, for a couple of years. But it's also possible he's got more pixie dust and he's going to go eight and five again. Because that's what they do at Northwest. I don't know. I don't know. It's insane. It's not fair. (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Last team up for the night, John. We are talking about the Maryland Terrapins. So we have, I'll be honest, podcast listeners, we have... No contributor for Maryland yet. So this is the last school we have zero contributors for. So please, if you're a Maryland fan, want your perspective shown on the podcast, please hit us up on Twitter or via email. And John, in a little later in the podcast, will give those uh, give those yep. things out so you know where to get a hold of us. So with no contributors, this will look a little different. Um, which position group succeeded? Which struggled? The defense ranked 30th in the country in scoring D and gave up under five yards per play. So the defense was a lot better than it's been in recent years, John, I thought. Guys we talked about this year include linebacker Ruben Hippolyte, who had a huge year with 66 tackles. Uh, star DB Bo Brady had a monster year with 75 tackles, six passes defended, one pick, and one forced fumble. So great year for him. And Jay Sean Barham had, a really nice, had some really nice games at linebacker, uh, I thought. Maryland was 63rd. In total offense with 5.87 yards per play, Leah Tugavailoa had a prolific, if somewhat mistake-ridden, senior season with almost 3,400 yards passing and a 66.5% completion percentage. That's impressive stuff. 25 TDs was great, but 11 interceptions was not as great. The running game struggled all year due to injuries and lack of production. It was a down year for Maryland running backs. Maryland had three wide receivers and a tight end have who had nice, if unspectacular years catching the ball. So you have to give Maryland's offense credit for that coaching wise. And the O-line struggled a lot to keep Leah upright and they had him running for his life all season. So they also did not open up holes in the running game. So I would say the O-line struggled a lot. Um, which position coaches were successful or unsuccessful. I think we kind of talked about it. I'd say Gunter Brewer as wide receivers coach and passing game coordinator was pretty successful. Co-OC Kevin Sumlin also coached tight ends, so I think he had a good year as he got production from his offense and his position. O-line coach Brian Braswell struggled. There's no way around it. And the DB coaches Henry Baker and Zach Spavadol's units struggled in key moments as well. Mm-hmm. Which injuries hurt the most? It's hard to say as Maryland had pretty good l- injury luck overall. Uh, John, do you have anything to add for injuries? It's see, I, uh, there wasn't a lot I remember talking about. I Googled some things, but I didn't see. Yeah, I don't think they had many issues with that. If, if someone went out, it wasn't for very long. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't seem like it. Um, what were your most pivotal games and how did they go? I put Charlotte 38, 20. It was a win. 
I'm saying it was a big game because they got behind early and you thought, oh, no, they're in real trouble. But then they came back from behind and dominated the game. I put Michigan State 31-9 because it was a dominant performance and it put the conference on notice that Maryland was going to be feisty this year. I had the loss to Ohio State 37-17. There was a lot of hype leading into this game, but ultimately Maryland made a couple key mistakes and they could not overcome the Buckeyes after halftime and kind of just blew them away. And then my last one was the loss to Michigan 31-24. Maryland pushed the Wolverines to the limit. They pushed them harder than anyone other than Ohio other than Ohio yep. State but they just couldn't get over the hump. Uh, but they deserve credit for that, I think, even in a loss. John, were there any other key games you wanted to add? No, I, I think that that Charlotte one is really what stood up to me and in watching them. And there was another game, ah, it's just slipping my mind, that they also came back from uh, from a deficit. And yep, I remember that's that something that we hadn't seen. We've talked about, and um, I know it's been talked about for years elsewhere, that that seems to be a big problem for Loxley and his teams. And they were able to fight back and come back and, and, and then finish out with a total, totally dominant performance. And that's really good to see. Uh, Mike Loxley is really making things, uh, you know, moving some things forward there. I know it's going to be a little, it'll be interesting seeing coming up here, which we'll do on the preview pod um, at some point with what's life without Talia Tungavailoa. Yeah, that's the big question for sure. How do you feel about the coaching staff? Were there any coaching staff changes during or after the season? I couldn't find any coaching staff changes. I know he made some coming into this season. I don't think he made any after this season. It looks like Mike Loxley has largely kept his staff intact. Um, if you're a Maryland fan, last season had its ups and downs. Eight and five is decent, but you really felt like they left one or two games out there. They absolutely should have I feel won. like they definitely should have been nine and three at, at- Yes. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They could have been nine and three and had a chance to win 10 games. So it was decent, but it could have been special. And I think it remains to be seen if Loxley can get Maryland over that hump and have a special season, because I really thought with Leah as a senior, I thought this was their year. You know, this year, this is the year that really lined up for them. For which players will make an immediate impact next year? Um, I'm, I'm not quite sure and then for the transfer portal i saw maryland lost some good guys they lost linebacker jay sean barham to michigan which really hurts as he's a great player they also lost a young tight end rico walker to auburn but they brought in an offensive tackle to play right away in alan heron they also brought in an offensive lineman from georgia and a lou ba so he could be a starter potentially and they brought another offensive lineman in from purdue and then they brought in the NC State transfer quarterback, MJ Morris. So it'll be interesting to see if he's able to win the job or if it'll be uh, the guy from the guy from the bowl game. Well, I think that they're going to do all right with the running back core. They're going to have Hemby and McDonald back. Um, at least it looks like at least right now, from what I can tell, uh, Littleton was able to put put, um, you know, make uh, do some damage, I think, too. He's a little bit bigger back, but. Um, I'm interested to see what they do with quarterback from what I, I'm not entirely sure which way they're going to go, whether they're going to go with Billy Edwards Jr. or um, who seems to be um, a more mobile quarter or I should say more mobile. Um, Talia was incredibly mobile, but more of a run first. So mobile, more of a more of a dual yeah, threat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I'm not sure about his arm. And I think we saw a little bit of Cameron Edge, too, but uh, not enough for to really tell. Yep. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. 
Maryland's offense underachieved a bit last year under Kevin Sublin and Josh Gaddis, which, John, stop me if you've heard me say before that a Kevin Sumlin or Josh Gaddis offense has underachieved because they both have. Yes. Both of those guys are questionable offensive coaches at this point, in my opinion. And frankly, I think Mike Loxley is carrying those guys on his back. Loxley is the offensive mastermind at Maryland, and I just worry that he doesn't get enough support from his co-OCs. So if I'm Loxley, this is a prove it year for those yep. guys. They better they better show up or I'm finding a new offensive coordinator after yep. this year. Defense was pretty solid last year, so you got to give them credit for improving on that side of the ball. The DC Brian Williams had a nice year overall. Uh which letter would you give the team for the past season? I think we gave him what do we say? Oh, I know we did grades already for us. I said I think I said B or B plus, something mm-hmm. like that. They got to 8 and 5, but they could have done more kind of thing. And then what position groups are you most excited to see in spring ball? I mean, I'm excited about the QBs. Like you said, it's going to be the first open QB competition since Leah first came to town. So it's going to be really fun to track that. And we know the Maryland QB, whoever it is, is going to get to sling it around. So that's, you know, that'll be fun. Which position does your team need to address in the spring transfer portal? I wrote linebacker as they lost Jay Sean Barham to Michigan and need to replace his production as well as some other guys, you know, who are out of eligibility in that core. And I was not able to find out much about Maryland's NIL, John. So I don't have a good answer for that one. I don't know if you No, did. I haven't really heard much at all either. Um, I want to say they have like a beer, but I'm not entirely sure if that's them or I'm thinking of somebody else. So my bad. Mm. Sorry, Terrapin fan. Seems like seems like everyone's got a beer at yeah. this point. Um, but yeah, you know, so Maryland, we did the best we could without having an insider. Um, but if you want to be that Maryland insider, for sure, hit us up. John, what else do you want to talk about before we get out of here? Gosh, you know, I just think like there's so much we covered here previously, even before we started breaking down these teams. I got to say that this is just fun and exciting and we really enjoy getting to um, explore these teams further and having the help of these contributors that that are just that continue to give us such a a wealth of knowledge. And I really can't stress enough to everybody out there that's listening to follow them, um, pay attention to what they have to say. They definitely know what they're talking about. And uh, anybody else out there that wants to try and get involved, Please let us know. Um, and as always, I will go over how you can find We Live for Saturday. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Podcast Addict. You can find us on Twitter at We Live for B1G Sat. You can find Ali, uh, Mike at Alibaba26, John at Norwegian Gopher, and you can also email us We Live for Saturday, B1G at gmail.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. This has been another great episode. We'll be back again next week with another review episode. And uh, yeah. Thanks so much. Have a good night, everybody.